0: Welcome into the Garage Talk podcast. This is a special edition, in my opinion, because uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Who knows how long this one's going to go? Uh, but I have my grandma in the garage. Uh, her name is Marion Owens. You have how many grandkids?
1: Well, we have sixteen living, seventeen. Are we talking about greats?
0: Well, let's start with grandkids. Okay. Oh, wait, hold on, let me back up. Let's start with kids, then grandkids, then great grandkids. <laughs> okay.
1: Four children, three living eight grandchildren 16 17 great-grandchildren 16 living and soon to be 17
0: oh boy we're just adding to the herd aren't yes, we yes we are did you ever think you would have that many great-grandkids
1: <laughs> well i never thought about it i guess i just you know as they came along you just you know <laughs> stir up another batch of love and
0: make some more notes Somewhere, so you can keep track of them all?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it takes a, But you know what? I can can remember all their names, and I think I can remember all their birthdays.
0: Wow, that's better than what I can do because sometimes I have a hard time remembering the birthdays of mine, but I always try and either use a number to remember it or uh, something significant right around that time period. And it usually works out pretty well, but sometimes I have to stop and think for a second. Yeah.
1: Well, I want you to know that I've got... uh, three Libra granddaughters.
0: So you even know their signs? Do you know well, all their well, signs or well, just the well, Libras? Well, just
1: the Libras because I'm a Libra. Oh, there you go. And, and what I know about Libra women is that they can start, participate, and finish a Donnybrook all by themselves.
0: Well, isn't that the truth? <laughs> so let's go back uh, to, well, I don't want to say the beginning, but let's talk about uh, when you first had kids. How old were you when you had my mom? I was young. (laughs) Okay. We were talking about on the way home from cheer camp. I was like, actually, I don't know the answer to that question.
1: (laughs) Well, that's too bad.
0: I know. (laughs) And you're not giving me a straight answer.
1: (laughs) Well, I won't lie to you.
0: Okay. Do you want (laughs) me to press you on it or no?
1: (laughs) Probably not a good idea. Well,
0: you know, I was just thinking about how young you seemed as a grandmother to me. Well, I was young. Well, what I mean by young is like very vibrant and very active and energetic. (laughs) And so then I was thinking, wow, well, you were, you know, you were younger, not like me. I'm an older, will be an older dad Mm -hmm. compared to some. Uh, So I was just thinking about that. So uh, I guess the point of what I'm getting at, the reason I even asked to begin with, because you're very uh, involved in a lot of different things that not only your kids were (laughs) taking part in, but also a lot of your grandkids' activities.
1: Well, <clears throat> that's what you do when you love them lots. And it's, um, you know, your granddad and I survived some real lots. We've been married 64 years, and we married young and, and lived through losing our youngest son in a wreck. And um, the divorce rate is something like 75 to 95% for people who have lost a child, couples who have lost a child. And so we've really... Uh, you know, survive some odds. But I think having gone through the loss of a child makes you appreciate the ones you have even more. And, you know, that probably shaped a lot of things that we have, as a family have done.
0: Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about some of those things, and we'll get to it in a few minutes, but um, was it a lot different before that, or what What major changes did you well, see that that, that event Well, you
1: you know, you never stay the same when you go through something like that. Um, You either grow as a person or you go down the tubes. There's no staying the same. And um, I think that, of course, everyone has to go through their grief in their own way. You can't say, you can't tell someone, well, you should do this or you should do that. My way of coping was to talk about it. And um, your granddad's way was not to talk about it so much. But um, I think that our family became more compassionate as people. And I think that, you know, you realize that the bad things don't always happen to someone else. And not that there aren't some rhubarbs in the family now and then. The bottom line is um, you just really realize how much you love each other. Yeah. And. uh,
0: Well, and... You know, a lot of love to go around, but also very passionate people at the same time. Oh, you think? I'm not exactly (laughs) sure where that comes from, but I know that I had a conversation recently with a couple of our family members just about, you know, some things that happened recently. And and we've all had our times, you know, everybody Mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. different phases of their life they go through and not all of us are saints by any means. And we've all made good decisions and we've all made bad decisions, but just getting passionate about how important spending time around each other and not letting stupid things get in the way because it happens so often these days. It seems like, and I'm not just talking about within our family. I'm just talking about in general, Mm -hmm. how one little thing happens. The next thing you know, it spins out of control. But, um, back to the original point of, um, how passionate everyone really is and how, uh, really loving they are. And I think that's, I was talking to someone that was in here the other day about that. Just like, not just loving, but also, and I don't know how much of this you want to talk about, but we were talking about, um, I was talking to Billy who was in here. We were talking about our efforts for St. Jude and how passionate mm-hmm. we are about it. And and I was just telling him about, you know, watching you guys uh, growing up very involved in the community. Mm-hmm. And if it was a Little League team that needed help or if it was, you know, the ambulance or whatever it was, you guys always seemed to be there for other people. And do you think that's where it came from? Was that something that was happening before or was it... Well,
1: I, I had started uh, – I had taken advanced first aid um, so that I could take – the it was called EMT-1 back then. It was EMT-1234. And then midway through, you know, serving on the ambulance as a volunteer, they changed it to basic, intermediate, and paramedic. And uh, I took the – I grandfathered in as a paramedic. But I really don't think that without – Having gone through what we went through, I would have lasted as a volunteer for 40 years and six months. That's incredible. Yeah, But what I found is if you can worry about somebody else, you don't have so much time to worry what you're feeling yourself. Yeah, And for me, that was... You never heal from the loss of a child, but you do adjust. And um, for me, that was you know, that was the catalyst that kept me going.
0: So did you get into serving on the ambulance after that happened, or were you already doing some things before that?
1: I had taken my advanced first aid and was ready to take the training, and Patrick was killed on a Monday night, and the classes started on Tuesday, so there was no way I could do that. That was in September of 1973, and I waited a year, and even then, it was difficult when we got to pediatrics and to head and chest injuries and and whatnot, but... Um, everyone was very understanding and helpful. And, you know, it's um, uh, it just has shaped my life. And as a result of being in the trucking business, and being on ambulance for so many years, uh, getting involved with traffic safety was just uh, a natural. So I still serve on the committee that advises ODOT Safety Division, about 20 years, over 20 years.
0: And so what are you doing, you say, being involved in that? What does that look like?
1: Well, (laughs) there's some things that I really would like to have accomplished when I was chosen to be on the committee, but um, it doesn't happen that way. The legislature controls everything, and, um, you know, it's just, one thing that I would have liked to have seen happen is dedicated funding for state police, because we are terribly understaffed mm-hmm. in law enforcement in this state. But uh, that you know the the legislature giveth and the legislature taketh away.
0: Yeah, I heard a statistic, and I know this is going to be wrong, but a friend of mine was saying something about there's only one state cop for every. Two hundred square miles, or maybe that's wrong, but it was whatever the statistic was, it was staggering i couldn 't believe that there were so few state police officers in the state of Oregon mm-hmm. just available at any given time
1: Well, mm-hmm. at one time, we had a good good many state police adequate numbers, and then when the economy sort of crashed, why legislature took their funding and uh, it, it, it is it's sad, and then there came a time. I guess, for political reasons that um uh, the state police and all the most of the state police departments were having a hard time recruiting because people didn't want to go into the state police any, any law enforcement mm-hmm. too much.
0: I know a lot of the different departments are struggling still mm-hmm, to find enough people, mm-hmm, but yeah. what are some of the accomplishments you've seen you said what over twenty years being a part of that
1: well um Driver's education at one time was governed by uh, the education department, and it was there was no consistency consistency to how the classes were taught and how the you know how the information was given to the the students, and so they wanted to be rid of it, and uh, the traffic safety division took over and completely changed it they um, picked new curriculum they made it uniform how all teachers would be um, and you know and the instructors would all have the same training so they would present the material in the same manner and um, it, you know there's been some changes as uh, to improve it but it's it's been a great program and um, and as an example I have a friend who worked for Department of Motor Vehicles, and his job was to um, test drivers and to teach other DMV employees to test the new drivers, and um, so I talked him into taking the driver instructor course, and driver's ed instructor course, and um, he took it. And he said, you know, Marion, I thought I knew a lot about driving, but I learned so much in that course. So, you know, it kind of makes me proud to have been a part of that. But, um, and the, uh, some of the other things that the Traffic Safety Department does is, uh, you know, they have the DUI committee. It's a gover- gover- governor-appointed governor uh, committee members, but um, they administer the federal grants that, that, is, that are given to the state, to the safety division for overtime for the law enforcement to you know, um, try to catch the impaired drivers.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about the strips on the side of the freeway and involvement with that.
1: <laughs> uh, well, <clears throat> we had a driver fall asleep just south of Grants Pass in kind of a straight stretch. And
0: um, and when and, you say a driver, let me just set the stage for everyone listening who may not know because we know, Yeah. Uh, but I even find to this day, people don't even know. Somebody said to me, wait, you're related to them the other day. And <laughs> what I mean by them is A&M Transport in Glendale, Oregon, uh, started by you.
1: By, well, mostly grandpa. granddad.
0: Yeah, but you and grandpa. I was getting there. He's inside. Yeah, yeah. I'm like pointing, but nobody can see us. <laughs> so, um, and. And we'll get back to that a little bit later on. But trucking company mm-hmm. you guys have had for a long time. Um, anyway, so obviously long haul trucks, and you said, and he fell, fell asleep.
1: asleep. And um, also at the same time that this was going on, you know the the stretch of freeway between uh, Canyon Mountain and Stagecoach is pretty straight, and you know just no no curves level and um I had noticed that and kept track actually of the wrecks that were happening on the straight stretch and um it just seemed so strange to me that there were so many wrecks and I was keeping track for, you know whether there were injuries or not and where exactly that they were happening and I also uh, knew why they were happening and um so I had, after the truck wreck, some of our truck other drivers came in and said they really liked the rumble strips on the outside of the fog line down in California. So I called Caltrans. Now, this was before I was involved with the state uh, you know, the safety committee. So it was quite a while ago then. Yeah, yeah, it's been quite a while ago. I couldn't tell you what year it was, but it was before there were computers. They had faxes and telephones and stamps to mail letters, and that was how I communicated. But um, anyway, I called Caltrans to find out, um, you know, how they did it and if it was expensive and so forth. And and um, so they said, oh, that they... Would had some kind of a track, probably like a bulldozer track that they ran down the side of the road after they had tarred or, or paved or re, repaved. And uh, so I thought, well, if they can do that, why can't Oregon? And because um, I knew there were a lot of drivers falling asleep and wrecking, not only in trucks, but in cars. And so I started writing letters and making phone calls and sending faxes. And finally, I got the attention of uh, the person who represented the engineering and the safety division. And uh, he actually lives in Merlin now, Larry Christensen. And so he took an interest in what I was talking about, and he came down to Glendale from Salem, and we uh, drove the, you know, the southbound or northbound and then the southbound side of the flat I guess they call it the Azalea Flats. Mm -hmm. And um, he took my statistics that I had, and that gave him the ammunition he needed to uh, go to the uh, Department of Transportation director. It was a lady. Uh, And he got a grant to put the rumble strips on the northbound side of the freeway, and we went from 10 wrecks in a year to none. And I think there were three on the southbound side that year, and then that gave him what he needed—the statistics he needed to take it to to um, the director, and um, and that's how Rumble Strip started.
0: That's crazy so, to think about—just an observation, well, of straight stretches. I mean, not all, but yeah. you, you notice something that was happening, a trend, and maybe a solution, and then all of a sudden the numbers plummet.
1: Well, yeah. And I think they have no estimation as to how many uh, run-off-the-road type wrecks that, you know they've stopped. Um, of course, there are some people don't like them too well, like the bicyclists and maybe the motorcyclists. But uh,
0: they shouldn't be over there anyway, though, right?
1: Well, bicycles you don't want in the roadway. Yeah, they need the to be off to are, the side. Aren't the
0: strips just over the line anyway? They,
1: well, they are. But um, and the other thing is that where the rumble strips. Uh, you know, near uh, if there were rumble strips near some of the residence residential mm-hmm. areas, people complained of the noise. So uh, now they have a new little gig called Mumble Strips. And so, where there's if it's near where there's homes, why they use the Mumble Strips. And I think it's just a different configuration of the with of a the, different home when yeah, they drive yeah, on them. Yeah, but Oregon does their rumble strips differently than. Um, california um, instead of you know making humps in the tar or in the pavement um, they have a machine that hollows out little strips and i think they're probably about a foot long and i'm not sure how many inches apart but anyway Interesting. So, so and then my other <laughs> claim to fame if you will uh, you know I, I, what i have found is this the squeaky wheel gets oiled you just have to make lots of noise sometimes Mm -hmm. to get something done but I know that one person can make a difference if they make up their mind to. oh absolutely but um, our our exit 80 at Glendale oh there were so many wrecks there I couldn't tell you how many wrecks I responded to in the ambulance and there were some that were non-injury wrecks and there were some that were pretty serious and I'll tell you right now, it's not fun to be a medic holding a five-year-old girl who has a shard of glass in her cheek all the way to the hospital. I mean, it's not something you want to have to do. But um, then there was um, a, a truck wreck there. There was a, a gas tanker and a utility truck collided, and uh, it was resulted in the huge explosion and uh, some sort of bad burns. And uh, thankfully, no fatalities on that. But <clears throat> that's when I started getting interested in, you know, participating in some of the safety uh, committees. And uh, so, I tried to to talk people into putting a four way stop sign at the junction, and uh, nobody wanted to listen. It was. Didn't give enough room for the southbound coming off the freeway to stop without being rear-ended, they said. And so um, that was always in the back of my mind. And then I applied for and was uh, allowed <laughs> or asked to serve on the Douglas County Safety Commission. And um, so I was there for several years before being appointed by the governor to, to uh, serve on the state committee but um, it took two fatalities within a month at that intersection to finally get their attention and I oh my I took petitions and had people sign them and I I thought anybody that has to drive through that it, it, intersection has taken their lives in their hands and so um Anyway, somehow or other, (laughs) we got a four-way stop sign. And I want you to know, as far as I know, there's never been another wreck at that intersection.
0: I remember hearing wrecks because we lived not too far from there. And so we could hear the sirens at night, Mm -hmm. oftentimes at night. Mm -hmm. When there would be an act, you could hear the crashes there. Mm -hmm. And when you mentioned that, I started thinking about it. And when did they change that to four-way? Do you remember approximately?
1: I don't remember. I know it's been there over twenty years, maybe twenty-five. Because it, they changed it before I ser- started serving on the state committee.
0: Yeah, because at some point it just stopped. Mm-hmm. You know, somewhere in there, the mm-hmm. accidents just stopped happening. Um, hmm. Interesting. Any other things like that that you can think of, or, or are those the main?
1: <laughs> no, I, mean, I there's just a, there's I a lot in
0: in twenty plus years. Well, more than that when you count Douglas County, but a lot of different things that are talked about and because you get to hear some interesting things that they talk about doing and then don't do or or do it and maybe don't do it right. Yeah,
1: well, um, there's lots of things I'd like to see happen, but as I say, the legislature plays a huge part in what happens and what doesn't, but I have great respect for um, the folks, the law enforcement and all the folks who work to keep the roads safe
0: yeah, Well, I'm sure the 40-plus years, did you say 40 years and six months?
1: 40 years and six months I served as a volunteer as a medic. Uh, before I did start driving um, the ambulance before that. So, I don't know, probably 41 years. What were those
0: experiences like? Because oh. you talk about taking a five-year-old with the shard of glass in their face, <laughs> and I sit over here and think there's no way I could ever do something like well, that. But, that, was,
1: that was before seatbelts. Yeah, That was before seatbelts. And Oregon was one of the, I'm, I don't know if it's the only, but one of the few states that the voters uh, put that law on the books. And so it's, um, and Oregon has really maintained a pretty high usage percentage. So I'm kind of proud of that.
0: So how did you handle being on the ambulance with most of your family living in town? <laughs> and oh. there has been some <laughs> tragedies. Yes, it um, has been. Uh, how did you handle being on the ambulance knowing that your pager could ring at any moment? And I know how loud and annoying that thing was because we'd have sleepovers. Uh, the grandkids would have sleepovers and that thing would go off. Hmm. And it went, I mean, thousands and thousands of times that thing went off over your career serving as a volunteer on the ambulance. Well, what's that like?
1: Well... I never left the house to go on the ambulance without thinking, okay, God, let's go. And I honestly don't know how I uh, there were things that I had to handle that uh, and do that I, I just I felt like I had a lot of <laughs> help, I don't know. But um, you know, it's kind of like you put your emotions into neutral and get done what has to be done, and then sort of <laughs> fall apart afterwards. And there were some bad things. And, um, and of course, HIPAA keeps me from talking about a lot of it. But um, <laughs> just some odds and ends. <laughs> we used to, when I first started on the ambulance, um, they were carrying Vicks to be able to put up our noses if we had a patient that didn't smell very good (laughs)
0: you know you're supposed to do that when you get a cold but I (laughs) would have never thought to do that when when someone doesn't smell good but well and and there's things that can happen too which is why some don't smell good right it's not that they just didn't shower necessarily but obviously in accidents things happen
1: yeah but mostly it there were there's there's a few folks who don't change their socks very often
0: well probably more than their socks
1: yeah (laughs) but you have to take the socks off to do a head to toe check on you know assessment on them yeah sometimes you boy you end up putting the socks back on real quick after you've checked their pulses
0: yeah we're just starting to deal with uh well our oldest that's almost 11 has some really stinky shoes and I remember my mom giving me such a hard time about my smelly shoes when I was close to that age and now I'm (laughs) realizing why that was. But um, what are, can you think back to any interesting experiences when you were serving on the ambulance that weren't like, I know I mentioned tragedy, and some of it was close to family, and a lot of it wasn't, but I'm sure there were some good things that you got to see and and outcomes.
1: Do you remember when all of you kids were down? Candace wasn't born yet. Your sister Candace wasn't here yet. But you were down with your dad and your uncles and your grandpa working in great-granddad's barnyard to put Mm -hmm. up a, a pole fence, Yep. and your kids were sitting on a log, and it wasn't really much of a hill at all. I, you know, why in the world that log rolled? Who knows? But um, your sister Kimmy got a broken foot, and your cousin Christina got a broken femur. Remember that? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I ran one way, and they got rolled over.
1: Yeah. And your mom and I arrived down there just not knowing this had happened, and, and your cousin Chantel was running for the fence to run to your great-grandpa's grandma house to call the ambulance, And uh, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? And so I thought, well, when I found out that Christina had a broken leg, um, I thought, well, I'd better run to the house. And instead of, I don't want to scare grandma to death, you know. And so I ran to the house. And by the time I got there, I was just, (sighs) you know, couldn't breathe. And I told my mother, I think Christina may have broken her leg. I was trying to be really calm. So but I'm still short of breath and I dial nine one one and they answer and I said, This is Marion from Glendale Ambulance and we need the ambulance for a broken leg. And she said, Well, is it yours? And I said No, it's my granddaughter's. But uh, that was and anytime it's family, it's it's bad enough anytime it's a child, but oh my, when it's family it's it's tough, mm-hmm. but you just really dread any pediatric call, yeah, but so I had some interesting calls with animals, <laughs> really? Any <laughs> yeah. you can tell us about? Well, Are they
0: protected yeah. by HIPAA or <laughs> I,
1: I hope not. <laughs> so one, this was when the old Josephine Memorial Hospital was you know up on the hill, and um, we always came in through town, but we usually went home by. The road that comes out at Merlin, is that Highland? Yes. And so my partner and I had delivered our patient. And, of course, I was sitting in the passenger seat and we were headed home. And we got just over the overpass on Highland and started down that road, you know, to get to Merlin. And traffic was at a stop. And looked ahead and could see there were two horses on the left side of the road. And there were some people with oat buckets and ropes and everything trying to catch these horses. And they weren't running, but they were moving in such a way they wouldn't be caught. And so I jumped out and I stood over on the right hand side of the road. And I got there just in time for the horses both to turn and they. W- <laughs> they started walking my direction. As, and as the one on the left started to walk by me, I reached out and grabbed a halter. And when the one on the right walked by me, I reached out and grabbed the other halter. <laughs> and the guy said, I'll be darned. I've been trying for an hour and a half to catch these horses. <laughs> and I thought the only thing I could figure was that the good Lord wanted me to look good.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you were in the ambulance returning back to Glendale. And yes, you just pulled yes. over to the side of the road yeah. and hop out and catch a couple of horses. Yeah.
1: That's true. And another time, it was, I think you were a baby, and you, you, your folks had bought Mrs. Young's log house, and I'd been helping your mom paint, and uh, I'd gone down and started painting, and this was on Memorial Day, and it was the hottest Memorial Day we'd ever had. And, oh, it was terribly hot. But the old house was cool, but the pager went off for a heart attack victim at uh, the intersection of milepost 80. And so uh, I put on my white jacket, and and, and the way we had it set up was that um, if if the call was out of town, someone from town, whoever was on for a driver, would meet the medic at the scene of the emergency and also for heart attacks a lot of times you need you know especially if you have to do CPR you need plenty of hands and help so anyway <clears throat> I went directly to the scene and there sitting just at the edge just right past the on-ramp to the freeway was this old Volkswagen and there were a couple people standing there and this there was this huge dog laying on the road along you know behind the um, van, and so uh, I think its tongue was about a foot long. That was <laughs> tongue was out. Anyway, I deducted it I will bet you it's heat stroke, not heart. And I was thinking.
0: So the call was for a dog,
1: and I said to them, "Did you call the ambulance?" Yes, yes, we did. We didn't know what else to do. And I was kind of irritated, but I thought, well, I'm here. I'll do what I can do. And
0: <laughs> first on <unseen>. scene, <laughs> yeah.
1: And so, um, anyway, they had a, a wet rag, which was kind of warm on the dog's forehead, and I said, do you have any ice water? And they said yes, so I sort of poured it over the dog's tongue, to you know, and about that time, uh, Jeanette Klein, who and her husband, Rusty, pulled up behind my car, and <clears throat> I... Sort of raised up, and I said, No worries, Jeanette, it's not a person, it's a dog. So she got out and she looked and she says, Well, I've got my oxygen bottle in the car. So, since we're here, shall we go ahead and put oxygen on it? (laughs) So, well, can you imagine putting a nasal cannula on a nose that's, you know, a (laughs) A snout, basically, right? (laughs) Yeah, a long, long nose. (laughs) I think it was a Norwegian wolfhound or elk hound or some darn thing. And so the ambulance got there, and there's no way that I would let them put a dog or, you know, that we'd put a dog in the ambulance, but I knew that if that dog had any chance at all that we needed to get it to the creek because, like I say, it was the hottest, oh, it was terribly hot, and uh, so we have what they call a scoop stretcher and breaks in the middle and you can scoop it together and, you know, so uh, by this time there's enough people there that we can have a person on all four corners (laughs) and so the dog really fit I mean it was a big dog it was a big dog and so uh, uh, there were four people carrying the stretcher and I was behind carrying the tail and so we go down the ramp and (laughs) going through the intersection a car from town came you know came driving up windows up air conditioning running and he stopped And he rolled his window down and he said why is your patient wearing a fur coat on a hot day like this (laughs) (laughs) so anyway we got the you know went across the tickle bottom bridge and down to the creek and got the dog in the water and uh, we had a a medic on our crew that uh, had worked in a uh, an animal for a veterinarian down in california so She came, and she brought her station wagon, and so, uh, and this was a show dog, by the way. The people were very upset because it was a show dog. Now
0: we know why they called the ambulance. Yeah. Those things are expensive. (laughs)
1: Yes. And so, um, anyway, we loaded the dog into the back of the pickup, and we got some bags of ice from the cafe there (laughs) and put it in the groin and, you know, the armpits in the groin, you know, and uh, took the dog to the vet, and, and, but. Uh, unfortunately, it had brain damage and and it didn't live. But I wrote in my little logbook that on the way to the Grants Pass, the patient de- developed what could only be described as a barking cough, which he did. <laughs> but <sighs> so
0: yeah, I'm sure there's so many interesting stories that I mean probably more than you can even count, right? Because well,
1: I keep thinking I need to write a book, but I haven't done it. You yet. should. I Yeah, I should. Because you like to write. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> I should. but um,
0: You should put it towards the top of your list of things to accomplish.
1: Yeah. So I want to turn the tables on you, Jason. That's not how this works. <laughs> yeah, but, but go for I, it. I'm, I'm totally grandma. up for it. I <laughs> well, actually
0: did an interview the other day with a good friend of mine who started one of these podcasts because he came in here and he said he always wanted to do it and it motivated him to do it. Mm-hmm. So he invited me over and I got to sit on the other side and just answer questions and it was so it was nice
1: so did you tell did you tell when you were talking that you had been a a tissue donor twice
0: uh yeah for bone marrow yeah I I think it was the first time that I've ever talked about it at length
1: I tell people all the time
0: and um maybe I should talk about it more I don't know it's and even when I talk to him about it there's some things that we didn't talk about that I thought about later and just some things and how it kind of I told him how it came about. I just didn't. And I told him I wish I would have um, met both of the guys that, Mm -hmm. you know, that they were complete strangers. I don't know if I explained that to him. It was kind of a blur when I talked to him. But I mean, that's one of my biggest regrets probably is not making or or maybe asking for help because I didn't have a lot of money then. So I probably should have just asked because it probably would have been figured out if I would have. But I Mm -hmm. didn't I didn't want to. And I, I just wasn't. I don't know. I guess well, I just you, were
1: busy, you were busy living life.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I was 21 years old the first time I did it uh, when I did the actual bone marrow harvest. And the next time I think was stem cells, but mm-hmm. yeah, it was what 21 and 24 or somewhere in there. I think
1: yeah, well, it wasn't and, that I, I was thinking it was not too much over a year that you did the second one.
0: You have to wait at least a year. Yeah. I think it was at least two. So you 21 so? and 23, somewhere I have records. Uh, Maybe I, even in here in the file uh, cabinet. Yeah, somewhere. I just
1: know the odds of matching one person is uh, in the millions. Yeah. And, and there are no statistics for a second match. It's un, practically unheard of. Yeah,
0: there's been a few, but three times is almost, there has been a few people who have, done it three times Mm -hmm. but since I did it the second time they changed the rules and you can't do it three times anymore yeah and like I told Michael the other day when I talked to him which by the way if you're listening to this podcast and you like podcasts check out beyond the band with Michael Campbell it's brand new podcast and at some point he will be posting the episode with me so Mm -hmm. you'll have to check it out when he puts it out but there's my plug for my buddy Michael Campbell but um what did you ask me right before that? I wanted to say something else about that. Oh, the two. Oh, I was telling him that I I think sometimes there's things that happen because of doing it, like with my body, and I'm not sure. Sh- I, I think it is, mm-hmm. but so sometimes I think, oh, it was the second time a good idea, but it is what it is, you know, and I would do it again probably, so.
1: Well, the body has a wonderful way of recouping, and, Yeah, you know so well
0: was there anything else you wanted to ask me or was that it
1: (laughs) i know i just i wanted to bring that up because it makes me proud it's i'm i'm very proud of my family and i you know we all need to do what we can to make the world a better place Mm -hmm. and and you know for some people that may be nothing more than just not throwing their garbage out their car window but i think that everyone needs to do something to -hmm. make the world better
0: yeah, I've been talking about that a lot lately, and I don't know why it is. I just, I think it's part of the reason I started this podcast is because of the negativity out mm-hmm. there. And so looking at ways to just do one little thing every single day, whether it's being nice to the person that makes your cup of coffee or whatever it is, mm-hmm. hold the door for someone or help someone do something that they're struggling with or just being there for someone mm-hmm. when they well, need help. I mean, there's yeah. there's so much value in that.
1: Well, sometimes if there's... Nothing you can say to help, you know, sometimes a hug says a million words Mm -hmm. and uh, a smile. I mean, just, you know, if you kind of put a smile on your face and sometimes it just a smile raises someone else's day, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I was uh, thinking about that the other day and also... And when we were on the way home tonight from cheer camp, I was listening to one of our kids trying to prove their point and getting upset (laughs) with their sister and uh, just thinking about the moment I realized you don't have to be right all the time and what that means for the other person. Like our, I don't know what it is, if it's our human nature, ego, what it is we think we need to be right, but we end up proving a point and then you hurt someone else's feelings. So what's the point of being right if all you did was hurt the person's feelings? And it's one of those things I try to remind myself of.
1: <laughs> it's like saying, I love you, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: It's like, you, it's, it's okay to be wrong. It's, sure it's okay. It and at the end of the day, it's just an opinion anyway. But and none of so, us like to be wrong. But No, <laughs> but, but if you prove, if you are right and someone else feels worse because of it, mm-hmm. then what's the point? Because at the end of the day, it probably doesn't matter. Unless it's a situation that is really important. And even then, you know, there's a lot of times it just doesn't matter. You said that over there. No, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Well, next thing (laughs) you know, you ruin your whole afternoon because of it. You know, it happens all the time.
1: Well, sometimes, I'm sorry, are really hard words to get out of your mouth. But, um, you know, I I think that it's important to say I'm sorry. Well, Uh,
0: I think there's... Go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say, and it also is important to uh, you know when our kids were little, we didn't <laughs> we didn't have a radio in our car. We couldn't afford it, and a car with a radio. And so we sang a lot. And um, when we go somewhere, and uh, I always expected our four children to behave. And, you know, they always did. But they knew, I, I, I guess I believed in capital punishment because if they misbehaved or when they misbehaved, they got a paddling. Didn't beat them, just gave them a paddling. Mm-hmm. And But rarely ever had to do that. And when we'd go someplace, I always, always remember to say on the way home, thank you for being so good. And I think it's really important to, you know, see give positive
0: reinforcement. Yeah, 100%. It's so easy to do too. Mm-hmm. It's just easy to it's also easy to forget to though. Yeah. You know, yeah. so just to remember to do that and you know, talking about kids, you know, people think we're crazy for having as many kids as we have, but you used to lug around your grandkids <laughs> and drag them all over the place. Yes, indeed. And <laughs> I look at it now and there's some grandparents that don't even want to, or not that they don't want to, they feel like they can't handle even one grandchild <laughs> for a couple of hours or a sleepover. And you were taking us all over the place. And a lot of times more than one. And a lot of times
1: <laughs> the whole kitten and caboodle. Yeah. A whole, a eight. whole yeah. Yep. Well, you we were always good kids and it seemed like the, th- the three bigger ones watched out for the younger ones. And, uh. I don't know. It, it was so much fun. But this is what I have found. As kids get older, the grandparents slide down the totem pole, so enjoy them while you can. <laughs>
0: well, but they come back around, don't oh, you think, at some point? Oh, sure, they do. Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, yes, indeedy. And, uh, you know, one thing that just drives me nuts is when I see parents or grandparents or family members show partiality, and that's unacceptable. You can love them all the same it's like when each one's born you just stir up a whole new batch of love just like you stir up a batch of cookie dough and uh, there's enough love you know there's no limit on love how many
0: different games let's just let's say games sporting events <laughs> do you think that you and grandpa have attended oh. in the last let's say well let's just say like 30 years not even your kids' games.
1: <laughs> I couldn't begin to put a number on it. But, you know, we always hated to miss any of them. And there were times that we had uh, girl grandchildren playing in one game and boy grandchildren playing in another game. And so we would, well, before cell phones, we'd take walkie-talkies. We'd take turns watching, you know. And oh, so-and-so so just, you know, made a hit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And... Uh,
0: it has to be thousands of games.
1: Oh, there has been, yeah. We uh, probably traveled more for the youngest granddaughter because she went on to college and played sports, and so. But I'd like to have a penny for every mile we drove watching all of you kids. <laughs> well, I just think
0: it cost you more than a penny <laughs> per mile to get there. So, <laughs> if you were to add all that up.
1: But you know what? Just being there was was good. It was well, good. And
0: being able to do it because. If you go back, you know, in time where people didn't travel as much, you know, if you think about Mm -hmm. it now, people drive all over the, they'll drive a hundred miles and not even think twice about it to Mm -hmm. go do something where before, I mean, I remember just being in high school and my dad would say, you don't really need to drive 25 miles to go to Grants Pass because (laughs) it's not necessary. Mm -hmm. Like it costs money. You don't need to do that. And I guess maybe people are in a better position to drive more and and maybe it's more cost effective. I don't, I don't think so though. Um, but it is interesting to think about how we do travel now and how maybe that wasn't even an option at one point, you know, long Mm -hmm. ago you couldn't, you couldn't do all those things. And, and obviously being successful and, and fortunate allows people to take off and be able Mm -hmm. to travel. And, and that's one of the things that you guys have been is, you know, successful in business running a family business.
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, I guess we (laughs) would have picked up pop cans to have money to go to our kids' games. (laughs) So, you know, it's,
0: um, Shoot, I still pick up pop cans. Got a whole bag of them right (laughs) over there. Well. 10 cents now. You
1: know what, I, I, there's two things that just drive me nuts, liars and litter bugs. And so, I haven't been real good at it here in the last couple of years, but, I have tried to keep the garbage picked up along our line, and I, all the way into Glendale at times. Um, and I'm sure people think I'm looking for pop cans. I usually put those out where someone that is looking for pop cans can find them, but oh, I just hate litter.
0: Yeah, it's everywhere these days, it seems like. It but is. in some spots, they do okay, they do keeping yeah. it up. But yeah. some cities are better than others. I know when I went to Idaho, they do a really good job. It's, there's something about that, that area where they just take pride in keeping things picked up, which is Mm -hmm. cool to see. Yep. Um, But speaking of the family business, what has it been like being a part of that? Because there's obviously success now, but there's failures along the way. Just what has the experience been like? Did you ever think that you'd be in the middle of something like that?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) Because I was a farm girl (laughs) that, you know, we, and I was born, um, well, kind of at the tail end of the Depression. And so, uh, you know, there there wasn't... My folks had property, but, boy, there wasn't much money. And we lived off the land. And, um, you know, it was... I can remember my mother being worried when the toothpaste ran out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and when you go into business, you're talking big bucks, to, you know, to buy a truck or whatever. And, and uh, I was raised in a family that... You paid for, if you're going to buy something, you saved your money and paid for it. So we didn't have a lot, but we were, you know, we were well fed and, and we had a roof over our head. Yeah. So, but it's a lot of hard work. And I can tell you that, as you well know, having, been able to raise our kids on the ranch and our grandkids being a part of that, that by gummy you learn work ethics when you have a ranch. Mm-hmm. And I think if, if a parent can give their children, teach their children good work ethics and honesty, you've given them the biggest gift you can give them.
0: Well, and one of the things I just mentioned the other day, and I can't remember who I was telling this, doesn't matter, because um, the point is still the point of, it seems like if we were doing something, well, one, we were allowed to do things and learn how to do things.
1: Mm-hmm. You learned to drive early on.
0: We were, yeah, very young when we learned to drive. Um, so we were given a chance to learn things and not have to really worry about if we did it wrong because mm-hmm. we just figured out how to do it right and fix it. Um, so learning kind of as we went along, and mm-hmm. um, but also that when we did something, there was never an option just kind of halfway do it, Mm-mm. and. At the time, I wasn't the biggest fan of it early on, but obviously you learn as you get older why you're encouraged to work so hard at something. Mm -hmm. And I think back to bucking hay or splitting (laughs) firewood with my Uncle Bob and we'd start before the sun came up and cut firewood all day long, Mm -hmm. like a machine. And it was like, how fast can you do it and how long can you do it? And at the time it was torture. Um, but obviously it it did taught us good work ethic. And I think that's probably why I am the way I am now for sure. I know it is. And so, I mean, there's a lot of people involved making that happen, Mm -hmm. you know, showing good work ethic, but it definitely was a great foundation for me.
1: Well, something that concerns me now is that, um, I'm the, the electronics, uh, it it's, I wonder if it's going to be the ruination of our population, for heaven's sakes, because um, so many young folks, I mean, just all they care about is having their cell phone and, and their video games. And I, I think, I, I jokingly say, I think there's evil spirits living computer machines, and I can destroy it. I'm not a computer person. I can destroy a program with one touch of the finger but really it is concerning to me that um you know kids gosh you know do they get out and ride their bikes do they build go-karts do you know it's
0: yeah a lot of that stuff doesn't even happen anymore mm -mm. um but it is cool to see when kids still do that because mine do it a lot they get out and ride their scooters and We don't let them watch a lot of TV and Mm -hmm. they don't have phones yet. They don't really have video games. They have the old Nintendo that's 30 years Mm -hmm. old, but they don't really play that that often. And, you know, at some point we're going to need people to feed us
1: (laughs) and that takes
0: work and maybe they can automate a lot of it, but there's a lot of things that you just still need people for.
1: Well, you need electricians, you need plumbers. I mean, just, you know, mechanics, all sorts of things that, you know, people aren't learning to do. And I'll just tell you right now, your granddad and I would be in deep poo-poo if it wasn't for our computer guru at the office with our cell phones and computers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because they are important. (laughs) I mean, because you've seen technology change Mm -hmm. drastically you just turned celebrated your 81st birthday, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. But you've seen so many things along the way.
1: Well, that's true. But you know what, Jason, I probably haven't seen as many changes as what my grandma saw. Um, I mean, she went from (laughs) having her own horse and buggy as a young lady, uh, to watching the man walk on the, you know, the astronauts walk on the moon.
0: That's incredible to think about.
1: Yeah. Yep. And (laughs) she she always said she could outrun all the young men in town with her horse and buggy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Man, if you could just go back and see that. You know, you'd be a yeah. fly on the wall to watch that happen.
1: Yep. So when your uncle Carl said his wife, your aunt Zareda, delivered went faster between mailboxes when she delivered mail, you know, in the Glendale area, he said she went fast. She goes faster between mailboxes, and I go on the freeway. So probably was true. <laughs> Got to get that mail there on time. Yeah. You know, you could you could you could set your watch by her. <laughs>
0: so. Give me a couple of your favorite memories that you have. And obviously you have a lot of them. But oh. if you were to, to think back and uh, think of maybe uh, accomplishments or just things that happened uh, mm. that really stick out in your mind, what would they be?
1: Well, I think spending so many years with your grandpa. I mean, not that there weren't ups and downs. All of life you know, has ups and downs. But, um, you know, our, our kids, um, and when each one of the grandchildren were born, that was such a thrill, and I don't know, there just lots of positives in just life itself, you know, and um, there's not a day goes by that I don't thank God f- for, you know, being able to live where we live and not have to be a city slicker.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and you're fortunate that you guys were able to make a go of the family business because yeah. a lot of people can't find a way to make a living there, you yeah, know? Yeah, true. Or to, I true. mean, people can listen to this thing all over the world mm-hmm. and we're talking about Glendale, Oregon, a town of what, 700-ish population? Mm-hmm. Is it growing or shrinking?
1: Oh, I would have a hard time telling you whether it's growing or shrinking. I suppose it's growing somewhat because, but um, you know, the what has happened with the timber industry has had a real detrimental effect on our community. hmm And uh, I don't know if the hemp trade is going to be able to, you know, fill any of the voids or not. But I will tell you what, I am going to miss being able to smell the freshly cut lumber when I go to Glendale, you know, from the Swanson Mill.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's sad. It's sad yeah. to know that there's enough wood out in the forest to keep that mill going, but can't get to it to cut it to keep it going. At yeah. least that's the way I understood it.
1: Oh.
0: I mean, when I, I read I the agree. story it said we can we could keep this going if we could get enough logs.
1: Yep. Exactly. And you know, what's so sad to me is that um all the fires have produced some trees that were not usable but there's a lot of trees that could be used if they cut you know milled them right away mm-hmm. and uh, it, you know and people worry about the air quality well do people realize that the old trees emit carbon dioxide and young new trees emit oxygen
0: Mm-hmm. yeah so but there's see this- there's so much noise out there and instead of yeah uh, we could go down no, that I th- road for I think, a long well, time. Yes, but. we could.
1: But I think everybody needs to get out and plant a tree.
0: <laughs> well, and the forest can be managed, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we oh, don't yeah. need to clear cut it all the time. Mm-hmm. But there's a way to go about it. And they've done a lot better jobs since the 80s. Yeah. They've done a, a lot better. I mean, where they can, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. But there's a lot of it that just got locked up, which clearly that's not really being managed. But then it goes up in flames. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Well, we had a wonderful trip to New Zealand in two thousand, I guess it was. And we toured the um South Island in a motorhome with our f- best friends Ted and Sil Booth. And um it was just amazing to see their forests and all different degrees of growth. It was beautiful. And <clears throat> when I when we got back home, um uh, our postmaster at the time was from New Zealand. And I said to her, I sure admire how New Zealand manages our forests. And she said, well, you know who taught us? And I said, no, she said, well, the U S. So it, you know, just.
0: Yeah. Know. <laughs> There's not much so, more you can say about that. Yeah. Cause I mean, it just yeah. comes what down to the people say? making the decisions and they're making different decisions. Yeah. So,
1: so the other thing is that, um, when I, of course, being a farm girl and living on a ranch, and there's about a mile of cow creek runs through our property, and through the years, uh, you know, when I, when I was just a little girl, the creek was deep and narrow, and, and there were fish. And uh, when my granddad wanted fish for breakfast, he went down and caught fish. But then we had some heavy rains and and some heavy snows that melted and caused the the creek to flood. And after a series of floods, um, the creek became shallow and wide, and the water became warm. And it reached a point where every year they had to condemn the creek for swimming because it was too dangerous for people to swim in it. Well, you know that if people can't swim in it, the fish probably aren't going to do real well in that kind of water either. So... Um, then in the uh, mid-'80s, Galesville Dam was built on Cow Creek. And, um, you know, the quality of the water is pretty much the same all year long. It stays cold. And there's been a few years we probably wouldn't have had water in the creek were it not for Galesville Dam. So my reason for saying this is, my gosh, if they can put a man on the moon, why can they not build fish ladders at work?
0: That's a good point. I didn't really think about that. That's way over my head, though.
1: Well, I think about all these things. (laughs) Yeah.
0: No, that's good. Well, we're almost to an hour, so I think we'll start to wrap this thing up. But I was trying to end it with um, maybe a a bit of advice you would have for people listening uh, Mm -hmm. as far as people. Because I like to maybe give a word of encouragement or something that makes people think a little bit about something um, (laughs) because you never know. Like I said to you, you should write the book. Like Michael, he said, I always wanted to do this. Now he's doing his own podcast. I want to see people chase their dreams, go after something they've always wanted to do before it's too late to do it and take that chance because you can always go back to doing whatever it was you were doing. So just anything you can think of any little tidbit, that you'd pass along
1: well (laughs) me advise somebody (laughs) i've always tried to not tell my kids or my grandkids what to do if they ask my advice i'll you know maybe give them my opinion but um, i don't know that i have any advice but i just have a lot of love for my family and I, I I couldn't ask for better kids, our th- three children, or better grandkids. And, um, you know, my grandmother said to me one time, you don't love any one child more than you love the other. You just love the one the most who needs you the most at that time. And I think that's true. If one of them has a problem, then you sort of give extra love and extra whatever they need. But... um Don't show favorites.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to end it, I think, right there. Well, thanks for making time to come over. This has been fun.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. I I can't imagine whether I have anything to say that's all that earth-shattering. Oh,
0: it's definitely interesting (laughs) to me, and I think it'll be interesting to a lot of other people who maybe didn't know any of this. So. Uh, hopefully grandpa's feelings aren't hurt that he didn't get to come out here first but he's also on the list so at some point we'll get him out here and we know that he will probably have plenty to say
1: well he's probably sitting in your living room snoring
0: that's okay because as soon as he leaves i will be in my bedroom snoring so we'll just replace one snore with the other
1: well i have one thing to say i love you jason
0: love you too thanks for coming over